Welcome to our backyard. This is the Backyard Philosophy Podcast. We are two friends having a discussion after everyone else has passed out or gone to bed. Grab a drink and listen as we discuss everything from automation, space exploration, and why the meaning of life is 42. Dodos, short bare noses, and lions that have gone extinct. Oh my, oh no. We're going to be talking about bringing back species from the dead this episode. And it's it's a complicated process, and it's a complicated issue. Do we bring back extinct species? Do we bring back some extinct species, not others? Do we just try not to play God at all? It's uh, definitely a Wizard of Oz situation of, Dorothy, we're not in Kansas anymore. We are talking about bringing back extinct species, and it's a fascinating topic. So Nick, I got a question for you. How you doing and what are you drinking? I am doing fine and I'm drinking a Montucky cold snack. It is a beer. It's a lager made in Montana and it is the unofficial official beer of Montana. I'm joining you with the sips tonight. I'm uh, drinking a screwdriver. As Nick says, drinking vodka is for white bitches and russians count me in with the white bitches but i'm i'm super excited to talk about this topic because it's very complicated but yet we can do it so throughout the episode we're going to be talking about should we do it what can we do with them once we have them what are some rules what are some problems it's gonna be it's going to be a broad stroke of extinct species so, a little catch-up for everyone. We're going to start off with some fun facts, but they're kind of sad and depressing. There are 150 to 200 species that go extinct every 24 hours in the world, which is a thousand times more than the previous quote-unquote natural background rate. We are currently in the sixth mass extinction. Humans are partly to blame, but other reasons are there too. And because of humans, we're accelerating the process up to 80% faster. But there are different ways we could bring back these extinct species that we're causing in these mass extinctions. A few of them are cloning, synthesis, and dormant reactivation. Now, there are some other methods we'll talk, but I want to get these three because they're kind of the most prevalent and most being used currently and in the past. Cloning, which I'm hopefully everyone is familiar with. Cloning is... Think Camino, Attack of the Clones. Or Mini-Me. Definitely can't count on Austin Powers. Oh, excellent reference. But cloning is pretty much bringing back a animal or species that is the exact same one. It's a copy machine, pretty much. And for example, the most common way of cloning is a process called somatic cell transfer, which is pretty much taking a nucleus containing the DNA of a species you want and placing it into an egg, which is uh, without a nucleus of a related animal. So it would give birth to the clone. So it would have all of the genes of the animal you want to clone and none of its carrier. So the mom wouldn't have no genes in that baby. It would just be just the nucleus you put in. Now, synthesis, which is a DNA mixing of the desired organism with a similar or relative species, so think crossbreeding almost, has the desired species, but it will have a mixture of both the host and the desired species. And last one, active dormant genes, which is... One that we've been doing throughout history for quite a long time without really thinking about it, but just forward, not backwards. So active dormant genes is taking a 
assortment of related species and simply turning on or off their genes. So if the species had a common ancestor that weren't too far apart, we can turn them on and off together. An example of the active dormant genes would be turning chickens back into dinosaurs. So people may or may not know chickens are descendants of dinosaurs. And using active dormant genes, scientists have been able to turn chickens into dinosaur-looking chickens, which is as much Frankenstein as it is, it's pretty cool to me because they've developed little velociraptor-looking chickens, which I kind of want, I'm not going to lie. But I'm going to jump back to Nick thinking that he has something to say about everything I've said. What's the, the time frame on the active dormant genes? How many generations do we have to go through to get those genes to show up, or are we editing those genes to show up? So that's very dependent on the species. But it's actually kind of a quick process, especially if we have a completely mapped genome. For those not for those listening, they might not know is the genome is your DNA sequence of just the order it is. It's the blueprint of you, what makes you. And unfortunately, we don't have all the genomes of all the species even currently living today. It's a very expensive, hard process, and it's very time-consuming to do. Luckily, technology is improving, and we're able to do this faster and faster. But with something simple like chickens, we're able to do it. I think within three generations, if I remember reading the article correctly, which is quite quickly, considering it's a chicken and they breed quite quite quickly. But it, it I implore you to all look at what the chicken is versus the, I guess, modified dinosaur chicken. It is streakingly night or day. Call it El Diablo. I believe it's Spanish for some form of fighting chicken. I love it even more. But it is just the skeleton system alone is it, you could you would think they were two different species, but they're not. They just happen to have the right switches turned on and off, which is amazing to think about. And since I was talking about geomes, I think it's important to talk about it because I assume we'll eventually talk about mammoths, dodos, saber-toothed tigers. There's a number of species that people, scientists are talking about bringing back. But under the best conditions, DNA will only last 1.5 million years. And I'm talking the best conditions. They usually don't last that long. So since we're talking about chicken dinosaurs, I want to kind of turn anyone's hopes down and say... Dinosaurs, it's not going to come back like Jurassic Park. Dinosaurs went extinct 60, 65 million years ago, which is a lot longer than 1.5 million years ago. So unfortunately, we won't have T-Rexes. We won't have Volceraptors, but we could have things very similar to, or we could have some pretty other cool things that have been extinct within the last 500 years. Or if we get lucky, any animal that has been frozen or perfectly preserved up to 1.5 million years. I think that, uh, you know, the time frame is, is impressive of how far back we can go, but bringing those animals back is going to be difficult. Um, just for bringing back one population is, is hard enough as it is. You know, we have populations of endangered species right now that we have 150 or so live specimens that through habitat loss and poaching or whatever it is, it's hard enough to bring that genetic diversity up and back to a stable level. So I, I think it's going to be hard to bring back, like completely bring back from extinction a species. But I think reverse engineering or getting as far back as you can and bringing them back just to see how they behave and what phenotypes they show is going to be very helpful to science in the future. Yes, it's definitely a dual-edged sword, that's for certain. But it can be used to help current endangered species. We could bring back, say, a... Let's switch to mammoths. Everyone knows or have heard news about a frozen mammoth being found in Siberia. Well, since it was so important because it had literally liquid blood, well, frozen liquid blood in it, so it was pretty really, 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 really well preserved and it has options. So we could technically bring back the mammoth and parts of Russia are actually preparing 
four if the mammoth comes back. And the great thing is because they have a common ancestor, the I believe it's the Southeast Asian elephant, we could technically induce an East Asian East elephant with mammoth embryos to produce a mammoth. And some might say that's a bad thing. Some might say it's a good thing. We'll get into that later. But going back to the endangered species, we could perhaps crossbreed to make a more stronger species. So that way they have a higher chance of surviving. I believe it's you need a necessary 500 of a species to fully bring it back from endangerment without human intervention. And say the rhino. Rhino is a perfect example. There are, in the past 20 years, a species of rhino has gone extinct and others soon to go extinct. But we do have, you know, rhinos at zoos and other natural habitats and in the wild. Well, we could bring back the rhinos that have gone extinct due to human poaching, uh, loss of land, and simply clone or bring back the extinct species all by itself through these rhinos as hosts. And I want to ask you, Nick, how do you how do you feel about bringing back an extinct species that humans are directly involved in? I think that's definitely something that we should look into. I, I think Obviously, the primary the primary objective is going to be to stop whatever reason these animals are going extinct in the first place, but that's not always feasible. If we made it easy to, on the flip side, once the damage is done, bring them back, that, that would be definitely beneficial. But counter to that, when you make it so easy to bring a species back people may not value the, enda- the how endangered those species are to begin with. So I think that's a double-edged sword too. But I think definitely, you know, the pros outweigh the cons. If you want to keep an earth similar to how we've inhabited it right now, that being able to bring some of these species back after they go extinct is definitely, you know, just because certain people can't be trusted or, you know, there's a lot of other reasons. Maybe it's you know, poverty. They, you know, it's, kill that rhino or die i mean it's not always black and white as we tend to think of it out here but for whatever reason a lot of these animals are space facing habitat loss and overhunting, mismanagement across the board and if we can bring those back through technology while we get those people up to speed and get them to a level where they have the resources where they don't need to over harvest and they don't need to destroy the habitat then yeah, this is definitely a band-aid on the problem for sure. And for those listening, many of the species that we can bring back from extinction would not thrive, would not sustain itself. Having a species and having enough of them, especially for larger animals like the mammoth. The mammoth needs usually a host and to have, or else you're going to have pretty much clones that will lead to inbreeding, which leads to diseases, leaves it more susceptible, has lots of problems. But there's not really a lot of Eastern Asian elephants those are i believe endangered themselves so you can't really do big creatures though we can this is getting a little bit off topic we can bring back the lost extinct tiger through house cats i might talk about that later but staying on what nick was talking about i really like this quote from douglas mccauley he's a ecologist at ucsb and he argues for three criteria to choose what species to bring back which i really like he said Target species with unique functions, concentrate on species that went extinct recently, and only work with species that can be restored to levels of abundance that meaningful restore ecological function. So unfortunately, rhinos would not fit in that category unless the rhinos can crossbreed, and I don't believe rhinos can crossbreed without being sterile. But I do, if we're going to have rules for 
what species are allowed to come back from extinction. I definitely like that one, especially a meaningful restore of ecological function. Because it's easy for people to go, I want a saber-toothed tiger as a pet. No, you can't. Don't. You, if you want a saber-toothed tiger of a pet and you're actually serious about it, you're, I, mm. But having a species to be able to sustain and actually impact the environment in a good way, I think is the most important key. And I think Nick was talking about that a little bit. So I'm going to jump back to him. Yeah, what you're doing is you're finding, you're identifying the largest problem and you're going to concentrate there first, which I think is something we talked about in previous podcasts is figure out how you can do the most good, start there, knock off the biggest chunk, and then everything else becomes a little bit easier. So yeah, definitely those species that recently extinct, we have not just one or two samples of genetic variability. I mean, each of these animals are going to have different genetics. The same species is going to be very similar, but the minor differences in the genetics, if you can introduce as many different genetics as possible, you're going to have a better outcome. When you have one or two genes that is going to be the entire population, like Mike said, it's going to lead to bad things. It's a a bottleneck effect, and sometimes species can come out of it, and sometimes they can't, but, you know, the wider gene pool we can pull from is definitely going to be the bigger help there. Oh, absolutely. And having a multiple of genes is very important. If I kind of bring it back to types of cloning slash gene editing slash bringing back extinct species, another example I didn't really talk about is uh, back breeding. An example of back breeding is the, I believe it's pronounced the quaggas. It's a relative of the zebra and the modern zebra have quaggas DNA. We all kind of branched off at some point and not too far from the tree of life, the quaggas branched off from zebras and vice versa. But zebras still have some quagga DNA in them. And I believe there's a program going on, which is through breeding with zebras with higher quagga DNA to bring back that species. So hopefully after generations, after generations, I'm not sure how many, we're able to split the species again. So if I breed this zebra with 25%, the zero 12%, and I keep doing that with all the zebras, hopefully we'll have two separate species again. Which is scary thing about because there also might be the same with lions in Africa, because there are some lions that have older lion DNA, which are, I think, 25% bigger than modern lions, which is definitely nightmare fuel. Those those Savo lions? I think they start with a C? I think it's, I don't know, T-S-A-V-O. Anyway, I'm just imagining a, uh, a Linnaean tree of, of species where you have your ancestor and then they branch off, become two different species at a certain point, and then those species branch off. Now we're at, we're at say, the middle, and then that species is going to branch back into the other species. It's, it's crazy to think about that we're going backwards in the chain. I mean, we did it with wolves. We somehow got pugs from wolves, so maybe, maybe going backwards isn't the worst idea. Yeah, the wolf debate's a whole nother thing. (laughs) Most definitely. But, uh, oh, fun fact, since we're talking about if an extinct animal comes back, a extinct animal that comes back technically wouldn't be endangered. It's technically not endangered because to be considered an endangered animal, you have to live in the wild, which would be very interesting to have a one of a kind. And which I want to bring up before we get too far about that, with since we're talking about the ethics of bringing back endangered species, would you be okay, Nick, with introducing it back into the wild or would you want to keep it more in a conservation slash monitoring zone i guess i I would say that really depends on the animal so say for an animal that recently went extinct and we got it back up to acceptable population levels i don't think i'd have a problem releasing it into the wild unless there's something you're about to tell me but say like mammoths if we brought mammoths back i think the first generation being studied 
freed in captivity and not, you know, in like a small cage, but able to roam around so we can study how they would interact with their environment. I mean, a lot of things have changed since they've been gone. We don't really know exactly what's going to happen. I don't think that's a bad idea. Ooh, I'm going to I'm gonna elaborate on a couple points you said there a little bit later, but I want to stay on topic. I actually kind of agree and disagree with some stipulations. So I agree with like, say, Tasmanian tiger, one of my favorite animals growing up, which is unfortunately extinct. But if we brought it back, the ecosystem wouldn't really change. The Tasmanian tiger lives in Australia, mainly in deep forest, hills. It, humans didn't really affect its wildlife zone, and it would kind of fit right back into that niche in the ecosystem. Sure, do it. But is that just because everything in Australia is trying to kill you anyway? That's my favorite part about Australia. You have to be on your toes 24-7. No, you don't You don't want to have 24-7 combat? Just me? Oh. No. It will, if you... if. Steve Irwin couldn't do it. You can't do it. Oh, rest in peace, Steve Irwin. But cheers to Steve Irwin. Cheers. But it is interesting. See, I think mammoths should be let loose, I guess, because I think they're easier to track because they're so large. We could put a tracker in them. We'll be able to find them. I don't think we should put like, say, smaller animals like rats or the pigeon, which we may talk about in a little bit, that could just fly anywhere it wants to and go. I don't maybe control, see how it affects the small-scale ecosystem before letting it do its thing. But going back to the mammoths a little bit, because that's kind of, when researching this, everyone's favorite topic, mammoths could be very good for the environment, which is weird to think about. Because they're really good at disrupting their environment, which is North Arctic, colder climates, they cut down pretty much small little trees, which open up for more grasslands. The grazers, which open up the snow, allow other grazers to go through. And it seems like they'd be a very bonus to the ecosystem. And like I said earlier, there's a parts in Siberia, I believe. I think it's, it's somewhere in Russia. Where the government set up a whole quote-unquote play area for mammoths. It's a, quite a large area where they try to get it as native as they could before mammoths went extinct through humans pretty much humans kind of drove mammoths to extinction but which makes me think if it's not good for the environment or the ecosystem i'm kind of against bringing them back because it'd be don't get me wrong i would love to see hypothetical uh, false raptor or just any creature that's gone extinct but i think with great power comes great responsibility and i think it'd be unethical to just bring an animal back just to study it and let it die out i i, I agree with nick where if it was extinct with say the last hundred years yeah we could probably fed it back as long as its ecosystem's still there because we are unfortunately deforesting overfishing and kind of ruining this planet but back to you nick i got a I got a question for you would you be okay with just land animals would you be okay with sea animals would you care with aerial animals where I'm trying to figure out where some of your limits are for bringing back extinct species. So tying back into our invasive species podcast, I'd like to do something where kind of like we talked about how I still don't remember what agency does it, but they test different insects, species, plants, whatever, how they interact with the environment before releasing them to determine if they are going to be detrimental or what their effect is going to be. I think with something like this, it's, it seems pretty obvious to me that you would do some kind of test before releasing it. And you can study the effects it's not going to be perfect but to just go and just release all these species seems crazy to me oh no i i completely agree i would hopefully we would do testing and thoroughly go through see how it affects the ecosystem like say freshwater dolphins in uh, near china like make their recently extinction but you know things have changed make sure they go through but my concern is as this technology improves over time and keeps getting easier and easier to do and 
especially thanks to CRISPR, where it might be possible to bring back an extinct species in your garage, but I would say within the next 20 years. I'm more worried about someone bringing back an extinct species and it escapes. Now, there are current committees to limit and make sure there's ethical gene editing and genetics but we know some countries that won't do that we know some people who won't do that so are we shooting ourselves in the foot by making the technology easier maybe i mean as technology advances we have to figure out how to use it safely and there's going to be a trial and error just i mean that's the way it is i think in the long term just personally i think we should try and bring back some of these species just to see i mean we've read about say the mammoths for so long and we think we know all these things about them but can you imagine even just for one generation being able to observe them in the wild i mean what if everything we thought we knew is wrong what if we thought we they used their trunks not for mating and not for anything but just removing snow like we think they use it for what if that's not the case i mean we're we've been making educated guesses this whole time and with something as big as a mammoth where like you said it's easy to track you know what's unethical about maybe bring back a mammoth is that they're much like elephants uh they don't call it in herds do they i believe it's i don't herds. know okay they need more than one they're very social creatures so you bringing back one you would have a depressed mammoth and that might not behave well but i also don't know if, if it's like one genetic template you're bringing back you're bringing back a bunch of clones how they'd interact with each other so it's a lot of unknowns but i, th- I would think for sure if we can it would be crazy to not bring these back just for at least one generation just to to see how they interact with their environment like you said they do all these things that we, we think we know they do but what if they don't what if we have everything wrong oh nick you're speaking to my heart as a scientist of what if i i so want to see so many species come back even if it's just a glimpse just to see what they can do what they can what they can teach us but again i'm i guess less worried about scientists and more worried about other countries that too much power can corrupt look i think like we we talked about pleistocene park in russia where they want to put the mammoths they're going to put those mammoths there i mean Russia does not care what we think about the ethics of bringing those mammoths back. They're about to make some money, and I imagine they're going to make a hell of a lot of money doing it. Yes, but I think you sell them a little short, because technology has significantly improved since they've built the park, but they still haven't tried to done it. They've been actually quite generous with sharing their knowledge on the mammoths, because a lot of the mammoths are found in Siberia, because Siberia is freaking cold. So lots of things get frozen to death, but I forgot I was going to go with it. Uh, it was going to mention the second part beforehand, but anyhow, if it restores an ecosystem and we can learn something from it, I want it. I really want to see animals roll back and come back, but I, I'm still so nervous. Ah, I remember what I was going to say. Has a clone ever met another clone? Because you mentioned it with the mammoths that we bring back and just clone them. Has ever, in the history of our short term on this earth, has there ever been a clone that met a clone of itself? I do not know. That'd be very interesting psychology of what happens when you meet a clone of yourself. People get on that internet, I need you. But there are lots of benefits. Not only could we learn about this species and how they move and operate, but we could learn perhaps medicine from them and save more lives and more species today. One that comes particularly to mind is bring back the gastric brooding frog. It's a frog, which is really weird, but still kind of adorable. It's a frog that nourishes young in its stomach and has the ability to turn its stomach acid on and off, which to me sounds like a great species to study to help people with digestion issues or stomach acid issues or just know how human body works more to figure out if we could turn our own stomach acid off. What's your opinion on bringing it back for medicine? 
because it does seem like we would do either a experimentation on it which hopefully would be done ethically like wait until the species dies but it probably still needs some sort of testing and autopsy, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I think, I mean, like you said, I think that's going to get done anyway. I think if people see a source of medicine, like you mentioned, that uh, they're probably already doing it, trying to bring it back at least. I mean, I can't imagine that there, if this many people know about it, that no one's trying to do it right now. I think people might know about it, but I don't still think it's been done. Like, because we did try to bring back a type of Ibex in 2006. I think we introduced seven Ibex embryos into a into hosts, and only one made it to birth. All the rest were miscarriages, and the one that was carried to birth died because it had growth in its lungs. So though we have made leaps and bounds, I don't believe our technology is there yet. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy to think that we're even considering this. Like, just think about the technology, the data we have to gather, where we want to go. I mean, to be able to bring back species that are extinct just based on the genetic code that we have, I mean, that's that's pretty wild. Obviously, you know, technology is advancing every day, but to think that this is within the realm of our lifetimes is insane. I mean, you know, cue Jurassic Park music, but I don't really think that that's too far out of the question. I mean, obviously not dinosaurs, but I mean, man, I think if they did manage to bring mammoths back, people would pay a hell of a lot of money for them to go see them. I mean, I would love to go see mammoths or all these other endangered species or <laughs> extinct species. So I think, yeah, that it's definitely, I think they're going to be brought back for sure. And I think maybe as a supplementary income, those whatever place brings them back is going to sell them to like pharmaceutical companies, like you said, to run experiments, try and make ink, try and make uh, different medicines or who knows who wants that technology. I mean, it's not technology, it's just past genetics, but to us, it could be something new. You never know. Okay, so you just opened a can of worms, which is could be fun to go down. I don't want extinct species to that come back to go into zoos. I strongly disagree with zoos. I've seen, I, I think the zoo policies for the world, not just the United States, are not great. I, if it was a conservation area, maybe. But if we're going to bring them back, I think it's, again, it goes back to have a role in the ecosystem, bring it back because humans cause their extinction, or just knowledge. Now, you could argue that we could learn a lot from it in the zoo, but I just think zoos are unethical, and that's a whole other can of worms that we're probably not going to get into. But, I mean, it wouldn't... That's going to be a whole another podcast. I have a good guest. <laughs> Perfect. I be very intrigued because i used to work at a zoo and i have friends who still work at zoos but going back to the technology we have made leaps and bounds we've done synthetic wombs well sort of synthetic wombs we've done it for mice uh doing it for other animals we haven't quite been able to accomplish but i imagine in 15 years we'll be able to produce a goat in a synthetic womb so we won't need a host species anymore which probably means higher chance of survival and higher chance of survival means more unextinct species is is there a better name for de-extinct species than de-extinct species or extinct species nick uh not that i know of all right if you guys think you have a good name for a species that has been brought back to life from extinction please let us know on facebook or instagram we'd be very curious to hear what your names are i'm torn between jesus species and darth vader species oh i hate you i hate you so much <laughs> anyhow luckily as automation improves maybe We'll be able to do more tests and have higher ch chances of species survival. And maybe we'll have some stem cell farms. But there's a lot of options. And the technology is always improving. I mean, I think the catalyst of everything is, uh, is CRISPR. Be able to modify and cut 
genomes using bacteria is absolutely amazing. And again, genomes are very important to map out, which I'm very surprised that currently as a species, we're not trying to collect and map every genome of species on Earth just to have it as a historical database. But I'm getting a little bit too far off topic. Bringing it back to genetic engineering, Nick, I don't know if you thought about this, but what about the microorganisms that live inside a species? Like for humans, for example. In our gut, we have tons of bacteria that help us digest food, help us keep us healthy, safe. When you bring back a species, those bacteria might not exist anymore. And I'm not quite sure what we could do about that. Do you have any suggestions or did you come across that when researching? No, I didn't really uh, think about that. I mean, say for example, going back to the mammoths once again, I would probably try and put in the gut biome of the, um, it's gonna be grown in the Asian, East Asian elephant. So, you know, it's probably gonna have a similar gut biome to that, but I don't know what you could do um, besides looking at uh oh shoot what do they call it it's when you look at like the background dna they they look at they'll dig down into the earth and they'll however many years ago find just pick up genetic material off the ground most of the time it's plants or whatever but maybe you'll happen upon you know like a mammoth uh what's the correct term scat right and uh maybe you can get some genetic material from that i mean that's that's a real you know needle in the haystack most of the time when they dig down in, into the earth and look for past genetic material they're just finding plants occasionally animal for whatever but it's not the full genetic makeup but if you do it often enough maybe you'll just happen across you know that uh, mammoth shit and there's all your genetic material that you need right there well hopefully we find some mammoth shit i don't think we've found any because i don't think we know what mammoths ate besides wild grass at the time but it would be it would definitely help a lot knowing your the digestive system of their guts because i believe i'm no biologist uh, but i wanted to point out i don't know if we introduced a nucleus to a female egg if it would take on features of the mother like i don't know if those geomes would exist does this might sound like a dumb question but when a woman's pregnant does that bacteria make it to the fetus uh i don't know i'm a dude yep all right just making sure everyone to know we are uh fools with a capital F and uh, we have no idea how really the inner works of life works we we are just going down the rabbit hole but say say a species that kind of old and kind of new at the same time like the dodo bird I don't know why we would bring back the dodo bird except for it looks really funny because from all accounts that I've read dodo birds were not the brightest species and unfortunately if we did bring them back they would have lots and lots of predators i believe a major extinction point of them was besides humans hunting into extinction was rats and other creatures would eat their eggs so they weren't hatching enough but their microbes might not exist or their microbes might have changed so if they simply breathing in the air of their native ground which they used to be might be poisonous to them New organisms might have moved in, brought in new bacteria, new viruses, and I have no idea how to protect them besides crossbreeding, which I guess is another form of bringing back an extinct species of, like we said with the rhinos, making it a little bit harder species. And Nick, you never got a chance to quite elaborate on that. How do you feel about crossing species old with new to help them survive? I think that's going to be 
the most effective way to do it because while you are no longer have 100% pure whatever species you're bringing back, you do have some genetic diversity to that species that you didn't have before. So while you may not have that, like I said, it's not going to be 100% pure. If you want to get the species to thrive, I think that's going to be the only way unless we can just start randomly imputing genetic mutations into it to survive under varying conditions. But I think we don't know enough about genomics to, you know, just tamper with genes like that. I think that's kind of that's still nature's prerogative right now. I mean, we can't humans turning genes on and off. We don't really know what they do and it may help. It may not. I, I don't think we know enough about what genes do what for these species to just be messing with them. I completely agree with what you just said in there, Nick, because I know with humans, they're trying like uh, test two babies, et cetera, et cetera. I know if you want your kid to be above six foot, you might have to activate one gene, but because, because of that one gene you activated, it also makes them more susceptible to like bone cancer or something like that. There is always a price to be paid, which begs the question because we are still very new with this technology and still learning how to properly use it and understand what we're using. How far away do you think we are from implementing gene editing fully? So I, I believe we're still in the water. I mean, we can make animals glow in the dark. We can kind of determine how baby is born, but we don't really know everything about it. What's your time frame? If you had to take a guess, wild turkey guess, what do you think your estimate would be until humans have a very firm grasp on genetic engineering? So by firm grasp, you mean like you can go to a clinic and pick attributes for your child? No, because I believe we know that a little bit because we really mapped out humans a lot. That was a very high priority. But like say dodo birds, because they only died off 300 years ago. We don't really, I don't really think there's any relatives to them still existing, but I could be wrong. We could, we have their genome sequence. We can build the blueprint, but do we understand each part? So say, say we have the blueprint, but we don't understand where we understand you put bolt A into bolt B, but we don't know what that does. How long do you think until we can do that? So I want to say 50 years. But technology improves itself every how many years? Not a clue. Uh, it's yeah. Oh, it's definitely a number. Anyway, so I think my my instinct is to say fifty years, but that's with our current technology. So I'm gonna say twenty five years. Okay. So hypothetically, saying twenty five years from now, we have a firm grasp of modifying a genome that's not our own or it's not greatly in depth that we can quickly learn on it and do it. I would say that's a fair assessment. I yeah. I would definitely say it's a fair assessment. Well, I appreciate that confidence. I think what I, you know, not to bring everything back around to trees, but what I'm interested in is there's a tree. I forget exactly what it's called, but it's, uh, I want to say, oh man, I don't want to say if I'm wrong. Anyway, it grows with thorns on it and it has prickly seeds and they bred the thorns out of it. Its habitat's been steadily decreasing for a long time and there's really nothing that humans can can do to bring it back except for the fact that we now planted it all over the place because it grows in acidic soils so it's very common in cities but they bred it without the thorns and they think that these big thorns on it and these prickly fruits were to protect it from some large herbivore that was eating it now i would i can't think of the name of the herbivore and biologists are pretty convinced that they think this is what it was and some people think that is an entirely absurd opinion i would love to just uh bring that 
whatever species it was and just test that hypothesis. I love out of all the extinct species you could research, you researched a tree, Nick. You could you could do American lions that are extinct. You could you could do the pigeon that they're talking about bringing back that 2 million disappeared overnight. You could bring back a Tasmanian tiger but you decide to focus on a tree. Oh, I, I love you, Nick. Well, I mean, trees are already still here. I mean, look at the Aracaria tree, monkey puzzle tree. That's like, what, two and a half million years old or something insane like that that grows in somewhere in South America, the very southern end, I believe, is a very small range, but it grows all over the place. And now that we're distributing its seeds everywhere, it's not uncommon for it to be all over the place. Most trees have survived. I want to know the questions about why different trees are doing what they're doing. I think that's... I want to bring these species back to answer the questions that we think we know but just you know we think we know but do we really know like let's test it out that's what i think the most value is going to be in i realistically i don't see us bringing species back and reintroducing them just because we don't have the genetic diversity but this is 2020 and like i said 25 years from now the game's going to be entirely different maybe we can scientifically introduce random genetic mutations to allow for genetic diversity i just i just don't see that as being realistic unless we already have a large library of that genetic material i think the technology isn't there to reintroduce this much because you're it's uh it, we call it the bottleneck effect. It's so you have this huge genetic diversity. Say you have a ton of deer who live in this valley and say there's some giant disaster, giant fire, uh, volcano something. So you say you had 500 deer and now you have 10. Every descendant in that area is gonna come from the genetics of those 10 deer. That's a bottleneck. You had a giant population, it, and the ones that survived were able to get through that bottleneck, but now your genetic development is severely limited. Sometimes those species will survive and thrive and come into something else, stay deer. I mean, it's genetics. We don't really know who decides if those genetics are going to make winners or if they're going to die out. For the most part, those species tend to die out, but sometimes they transform into something that is better suited to that environment. And we don't, I don't think we fully understand that. And I mean, like I said, it's 2020. I still can't imagine a world where we completely understand how nature picks its winners and losers just because there's so many variables. So I don't think we're going to be bringing species back and reintroducing them for a long, long time. And if we do, I mean, our technology is going to have to be pretty good i mean it is essentially random genetic mutations for the most part and there's phenotypes that are displayed that are selected or uh, physical characteristics say for like deer and elk that you know bigger horns bigger body you're going to be able to fight off the smaller bulls and stuff like that that you're going to advance your genetics but man there's just so many variables that i just can't see it's it's so insane to think that we'll we could be able to pick those ourselves and change the genetic code of these animals to a point where where they don't cause, where they don't interbreed in a way where the genetics are too similar to create bad mutations, but in a way that normal population would. I don't know. It's just, it might be too much for me. <laughs> I, uh, I truly appreciate your curiosity and wonder for bringing back species just to study it. I completely agree with that. I feel giddy as a schoolgirl just thinking about seeing a American tiger, a 400 kilogram, oh, what's that American? Uh, 800 and something odd pounds, a lion running around. That would be, oh God, just talk about draw dropping. But well, think about like, first off, like you mentioned saber toothed tigers. So how big mammoths were and these things jump on the back of them and put their, like, that's their only weak spot and they put their fangs through the neck of the mammoths. But what I want to do is I want to make science 
experience, like uh, not confrontational, but competitive again. I want to bring back this species and I want all the scientists who wrote articles saying that this species is why the decline of this tree is there uh, because they're herbivore that they're protecting themselves against with all these thorns and hard to eat stuff. That's why it's uh, limiting its habitat. And then on the other side, I want all the scientists who wrote papers opposing it. And I want them to just sit there and I want them to watch and see what happens. Like that, that is, I think that'd be hilarious. <laughs> that would be fun to watch. That would be a great human experiment using endangered species, not endangered species, extinct species as the catalyst. But staying a little bit on topic, I agree with you that we don't know how it'll affect the environment. So that way, if I think this is just arbitrary numbers, definitely up for discussion. If it's older than 150 years from this current age that's in- gone extinct, we don't bring it back. If we do bring it back, we keep it in a controlled environment. So we set off land so scientists can study in Rome. Again, don't like zoos, but a controlled area for it. If it was within 150 years, say like a pigeon that recently went extinct in like 1914, I believe was it? We can bring it back. I'm okay with that. But we should go slow first. I think I think humans have a tendency to run and not walk first. When going back to its environment, because we got we got to imagine the environment from which they came 100 years ago, ni- nearly 100 years ago, 1914 to now is a completely different scenario. The land on which these species lived might be gone, might be changed, or in the process of Christmas Island, overrun with invasive species. So you can't bring them back. So if you wanted to bring the dodo bird, which was not native to Christmas Island, but just using an example, to Christmas Island, the rats would just destroy all the eggs and the dodo bird would not succeed but if we kept it say on a reservation we could breed it we could see how it behaves learn from it figure out what it did everything why they were so dumb or where the stereotype uh, dumb as a dodo came from because i don't think they were scared of predators i think that was their big issue if i remember correctly but having their environmental gone makes me think of a very good quote from Stuart prim he's a conservational ecologist at duke university and he has a good point, even though I want to not side with him, but the realist in me kind of sides with him. He goes, saving a species through de-extinction when humans are bringing forest and des- are burning forest and destroying native communities is a joke. If we can't take care of what we have now, would bringing back endangered species really help? That's a that's a tough question there, Nick. What do you, what's your opinion on it? So like we talked about in a few other podcasts is that there are parts of the world where people are taking good care of the environment, predominantly first world countries, and we can manage those grounds wherever we want. However, there are grounds where extinct species, even native species, really aren't on the minds of these people because they have actual problems to deal with. So I think, yeah, 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 it's being a realist. Yeah, part of the problem is all that land's not there. But I don't blame the people who are are deforesting. If, you know, if cutting down that tree is going to feed your family, that's what you got to do. It's on everyone else to give those people an opportunity to provide for themselves and their family in a way that doesn't hurt the environment. But you know what? At the end of the day, you got to do what you got to do. And, you know, it's that's not obviously maybe the right answer. But I think that's a realistic answer. So I think in the meantime, we can be in those areas. We can study those areas. We can get the genetic material from those areas. So once those areas are back up or up and they live in a a different society than they did, say, 20 years ago, where not everyone's fighting for resources and people are living, you know, a first world life, then maybe we can reintroduce those species that we that maybe have been endangered or gone extinct. But right now is where we got to do all the legwork for the future. This is 
where we gotta we know what's coming down the pipeline so let's get the genetic material while we can so i think yes maybe humans haven't been the best stewards of the environment i think what people need to realize is in the first world united states for the most part we are very good stewards of the environment and there's some things that you know problem call common problems that we have that aren't the issues we think they are like we talked about the fire podcast so i think the important part right now where our technology is at is to focus on getting as much genetic material as we can and archiving that somewhere so that when we have the technology which like me and mike kind of think in the next 20 30 40 years then we can start bringing these things back and at that point hopefully the world is in a better place we've more countries have become developed technology is spread everywhere we can do this at a reasonable cost bring these areas back to what they once were i think be i think this guy is kind of a downer but i think like mike said he's being a realist so i don't disagree with them but i think there's ways to work around it i definitely agree with let's build the foundation here now we have the beginnings of this technology we are still in a human scientific realm we are still in the early stages let's let's build the foundation for everyone i completely agree with that but i also want to be able to pet a velociraptor looking chicken i really want to cross that off on my bucket list okay you have a weird bucket list it gets weirder every day i swear but kind of tying in with another podcast which you should definitely go check out at backyard philosophy on anywhere you listen to podcast or on youtube but using a extinct species to fight invasive species. For example, there were cousins of the beluga whale and mantatee, I believe, that have gone extinct quite recently. I think it was less than 200 years ago. I think it was even closer. I think it was more like 75 years ago, but I can't remember the exact date. What happens if we introduce them into the Everglades or introduced a species that we could put in the Everglades to help fight the invasive pythons and iguanas, like we talked about in episode one and two of Backyard Philosophy. Again, you should definitely go check out. But if we use this dual-edged sword help us fight invasive species i my head kind of explodes on that on the ethics of it because we don't know if that species will turn to invasive species granted it might be easier to control if we're introducing it it's it's a very complicated question and i'm kind of get a pun and off on you nick of what's your opinion of using extinct species which is really weird to say every single time to fight endangered not invasive species i mean it, i think it depends like we talked about previously i think you know species have been moving across the world for thousands of years like we mentioned the invasive species podcast what is now idaho cold frigid idaho that no one should ever visit um is at one point a tropical forest very similar to modern day uh china so it could be the world just kind of moving around but i mean if it's definitely like a man introduced species yeah i could see some things that we could do it's it's a it's a very good question you know i think you're it's kind of like uh you're halfway in the pool all right you got your toes in do you just want to jump in or are you going to get out like We've introduced these species. We've brought change to the ecosystem. What are we going to do? Are we just going to put all our cards on the table? We're going to just throw mammoths at them. We're going to throw all these different extinct species at them. Or are we just going to get out and say, we've caused this damage. Pool's cold enough as it is. Let's just let this settle down for a little bit. I could see, I could go both ways. I don't know. I'm very torn myself. And I love how every episode we have to pick on a country or state. Unfortunately, this week it's uh, Ohio, but I, I guess it all comes down to the question of just because we can, should we? And I truly don't know. Again, the scientist in me, the 
the little kid in me, the the man who wants to see giants and rare and extinct species just come back to life. It, it would be feel like feel like a movie almost. And not to like steal from Nick, but to cue the Jurassic Park movie, I really don't want them to be for our entertainment. I want to point that out for at least my ethics. I don't think that is a good idea to bring back in a extinct species for entertainment. But if we could bring them back to learn from them study them or to help us fight invasive species or to help make the land more balanced again by adding another prey or predator like um I believe there's irish elk is it or it's some type of elk with the biggest antlers i've ever seen which have gone extinct pretty recently within human times would be great to introduce to a place that say is struggling with predators and prey so to introduce more prey which I, I again i this is i keep going back and forth on this of i really want to do it but i don't trust humanity to do it i feel like if we had a planet just dedicated to no humans allowed, just nature, I'd say do it. But fortunately, that's that's more than 30 years away. I, it's probably a couple, probably 30 generations away. So I want to I wanna try to get a little more knowledge of your ethics on this, Nick. What's your feelings on it? You know, I think if, I think personally, if we had the chance to bring these species back and, and study them, I think we would be fools to waste it. Now, I'm not saying bring them back to reintroduce them. And I think... It may not be the best, but I think we maybe should, you know, make some money off of them. Like, say, for example, the mammoths. We're going to be studying them anyway, right? People are going to be watching them. Like, that's not something that's just not going to occur. If we put them in, like, this park, the Pleistocene Park, and people could come and, like, look at them through binoculars or whatever, you know, not get up close. But we use the money from that to try and bring back other species. It's just, like hunting you sell these tags for species that people rarely get they pay like ridiculous amounts of money for these things and that helps the conservation of other species so you're bringing them back and you're going to study them but you let people see them and as you let people see these these animals what you're doing you're not only studying them scientists aren't only studying them but you're showing people all these great things you're showing them hey we have the technology to do this like maybe they want to work in this field after seeing that you're showing them that these are things that used to live here and maybe due to human activity, they're no longer live here. So you're giving them an education on what what our actions have done. I mean, I think these things could be great educational tools. They could provide income for future projects of bringing different species back, conserving species. Yeah, I understand where you're coming from. I, th I think we'll, we'll talk about zoos later on. But I don't know. I think it's, uh, I mean, I think we're going to bring them back to study them anyway. I think that's a given. I mean, I, I can't imagine what, just the things we'll learn from just observing them. Like I said, what if everything we thought we knew about mammoths is wrong? What if that's not what their uh, horn or their uh, tusks are for? What if they're not pack animals? I mean, it's not like we find a bunch of them together preserved. What if what if they are solitary? I mean, there's things we think we know, but we don't know. And we're never going to know until we find them. So I think it would be ridiculous of us to not explore those options. And I think there's positives to bringing them back and exploring those. And I think if we did it, that we could do it in a, in a responsible way. Now, where it's done, maybe depending on country, whatever. I, I, I see where that could be an issue. But I think the biggest problem is human interaction. If you release different 
animals near humanity and how that how that goes say not not to continually talk about mammoths but what's a mammoth going to do when it finds a house or what about the pipeline like there's there's a lot of unknowns and i think they need to be controlled in some manner but i don't know i i think it's definitely that we should bring them back at least for one generation maybe we don't allow them to breed maybe we figure out that it's not it's not a good fit. They don't fit back in the ecosystem and we humanely end it. I mean, I don't know. That That's kind of what I see ideally. I want to agree with you so badly. I want, I think you're right that it would inspire people. I, I think it would inspire generations to see a cave lion uh, walking around just how many people would get into that field just to be part of that or capture that feeling again but i keep seeing what humans do i keep seeing rich people spend a hundred thousand dollars to clone their dog and cloning is a relatively new technology it's not like it's been around for for a century and we're people are using it for dumb reasons and based on the history of what our species has done i don't think sharing it with the world is the best idea so i don't agree with maybe doing a safari well not safari in so words but having people non-laboratory scientists watch them maybe set up cameras so you can watch that way but i can see i've just seen too many times what humans can do and it it, it makes me so cautious not to get burned again and so here here's here's humans are going to do what humans want to do imagine they bring mammoths back and then they say only these scientists can can look at these mammoths what do you think people are going to do see i i think we should do it as like an an observatory for space where you can scientists can like rent a spot or ask to do such a task for the telescope where it's more a scientific universal community more than it is individual countries if that makes sense yeah but think about space you know if you have enough money you can get up on a russian rocket i mean it's just it's going to become a money-making thing i mean that's just the way that's that's how humanity works it's never going to be solely science so let's at least bring it to the masses because it's not just the super rich who want to see these things and i'm not saying we get in our cars and we feed the mammoths out the back of our door windows but people these like i said these scientists are going to be observing these mammoths from a distance why not let these you know you could just do like a like a hot like pretend it's like a mountain have a one-way glass like the mammoths may never know but just and you may not see them like from what i understand and what we think we know about mammoths is they wander and they wander far sometimes they go just great distances during a season during the snow and they use but they usually return to the same area so if you release them near an observatory or you have several observatories and you make sure that as you're going in that you don't spook them you know like as you come in and you go inside like some kind of hideout blind kind of like fake mountainside facade deal and just let people see them i mean if you bring them back people are going to go up there they're going to hike through the siberian wilderness whatever weird russian stuff happens to them out there is going to happen to them but they're going to try and go see these mammoths so when you try and keep people out that's when they want to get in the most <laughs> why why did i picture a russian giving a bottle of vodka to a mammoth for some reason <laughs> sorry I was thinking of uh, what's that weird thing that happened? To those Russian hikers where they like all died naked. Oh, where they broke out of the tent. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't remember what that is. Anyway, so it's either let everyone do that or everyone dies naked in a tent. I don't know what what the solutions are. <laughs> That's a uh, uh, extreme ultimatum there, Nick. I uh, I uh, don't know how I feel about that ultimatum there. There's no soft ultimatums when it comes to Russia. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Oh, and don't get me wrong. I, I, I know this sounds very selfish and 
hyper and uh ironic coming for me from just saying not for entertainment but i would absolutely love to have a pet saber-toothed tiger just even if i had to live out in the middle of nowhere by myself with a saber-toothed tiger i think i'd be okay with that or very least you are you familiar with the size dimensions of a saber-toothed tiger they're smaller than an american lion i thought they were twice as big as uh, the tigers we have today yeah like i said american for for those listening a normal male lion nowadays is like 300 kilograms and the lion the american lion that went extinct is okay to americanize that what is that in pounds uh 620-ish pounds and the uh the american lion because everything's bigger in america i think was like oh god it was either 800 pounds or 800 kilograms which is a really big difference but they are Definitely, we're, yeah, we definitely have a bigger everything here in America. Supersized it. But again, I don't, I want, I want to see these creatures so badly. I just really, I'm thinking other people will ruin it for us. But I have another question for you, Nick. Hold on. So you want to see them really bad. And you think that we'll have the technology to create these species in our garage in the next 50 years at least. I think less. I think less too. But what I'm saying is these species are going to get made. So why not do it in a somewhat controlled manner? Yeah, I agree. I agree with that because like currently we're already having genetic hacking. We're already having people doing CRISPR in their backyard, making their dogs breed and glow in the dark and stuff like that. So that technology eventually is going to make it into people's homes. But maybe we delay it. Maybe I, I agree with the controlled environment. I think that's a good idea. I think that's definitely a good stepping stone, especially if we are the foundation time period. We are the foundation generation. I like the way that sounds of this technology. We we can set the rules. We can set the flow of the technology. And maybe we should do it only in controlled environments before the technology makes it to people's homes. Or hope, or maybe we wait and hopefully humanity matures. Ooh, Nick, the more I'm talking about humanity matures, the more I'm agreeing with you of just do it now in controlled environments. That's a... Uh, yeah, I, I agree in control environments, but I, I still, the entertainment part is what's uh, really stopping me. But it's not entertainment in the sense of like Jersey Shore. It's entertainment in the sense of it would be like the freaking ninth wonder of the world, like people would travel all over the world to go see these things because we've been hearing about these extinct species for our entire lives and even they no longer live on this earth and we should use that as an opportunity not only to just see these species that were gone that we brought back which is an incredible feat of human engineering but to say holy cow like think about just learning about the mammoth what did we learn about the the different climate back then we learned about how they interact all these different things how they affected the food web i mean at the end of the day it's education it's all inspiring education that's going to inspire people to get into stuff like this that's going to inspire them to get into genetics get into uh, archaeology all these things that we that build upon the backbone of that creation are going to be given a huge lift from this i mean i can't imagine how many kids wanted to be astronauts after we started trying to start the space race i mean it's going to be like that it's going to be the golden age of genetics once that happens it's going to be the catalyst that ignites all of that i completely agree but i'm worried about the side effects of that because currently we already have illegal wet markets people are trying to get tiger blood or elephant tusks for ancient rituals fake medicine by we 
we're gonna have to narrow it down to a certain area. Now, those same people, like like we talked about in coral reefs, they want the uh, the live fish, and they're hurting the environment to get those those same fish for their medicine that they want. So yeah, it's it's a problem, and I don't see how I, like there's nothing that we can do to control that. I mean, and I don't really think that bringing an endangered species back is gonna have too much effect because it has I don't know what it has effect on Eastern medicine. You know, it's like do those. Well, I don't want I don't want to just pick on Asia because you know, there are lots of poachers in South America and Africa and Asia and I assume probably Europe and North America as well so I don't want to just pick on Asia but imagine imagine if you're a billionaire in country B and you hear country A is making I don't know bringing back that Ibex that we've tried before and you want one of their horns for X amount of reasons you're in a powerful position and money corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely so those ethics might be affected because that billionaire might try to buy that company might try to might try to turn that species into a commodity to, to, to sell it to hey everyone can get their own pet ibex hey you want ibex me it's it's three million dollars for a goat or stuff like that there's so many ripple effects that can happen it's why i think we should go slowly and not do it as fast as we are doing it if that makes sense i get what you're saying what i'm saying is that our country the united states for all its problems i think is the best suited to deal with this now do you want us to be the first ones to have these animals or do you want russia not that russia is our biggest enemy but i think if we were able to control it it'd be better like you talked about bringing back an ibex people would pay a lot of money to hunt an ibex and stuff like that it's the same with hunting you know yeah maybe these people want to pay these billionaires want to pay a bunch of money but you know what like take deer tags for instance just your general season deer tag for a resident costs you depending on state anywhere from like 50 to 500 dollars but one of the once in a lifetime hunts and whatever area will raise anywhere from 25 to a hundred thousand dollars and all that money goes straight back into conservation so if we if we can bring these things back in a way that we have the population to support that people would pay in the millions one million dollars they kill one of the animals that we bring back and that million dollars goes back into conservation the species we have i don't know it seems like a good trade to me i mean depend i don't know how much it's going to cost down the line to bring these species back but i'm sure if we adjusted it accordingly that you know you're doing yeah maybe it's not completely ethical to kill these extinct species but like the mammoths they have no one like they're very social creatures and if they have no one to be social with i mean i think it's almost more humane to kill them i mean everyone's seen the pictures and the sto- heard the stories about the elephants that lost their herd and they wander around crying for years i'm you know we don't know that much about mammoths but maybe they're the same way so i think the monetary out outcomes while maybe seen as unethical by modern day americans in the long term will actually do a lot of good i mean maybe setting maybe a million dollars isn't even like the bottom price point maybe that's way below i i don't know but i think if we put that money towards where it should go if people want to you know do whatever they want with those animals but i don't think the price should be that high to see the animals to visit with them because i think much like uh national forests national parks the price should be low so enough that every american can afford to go see these things I think Teddy Roosevelt and all the Leopold and all these people who came before us had it right when they thought that nature was something that every American should experience. And I don't think it's right to keep people from these things just because it's not their field or it's not, they don't have enough money, worst of all. I'd rather it be that it's not the field they're in than they can't afford it because that's, I don't think that's right. Okay, so you you touched on a few subjects that I want to get through. Yeah, I got to stop so you can just... uh 
just touch on one subject and then continue the conversation. Again, to, to talk about some of the points you brought up. One, currently, I believe it's about $10 million to bring back, hypothetically, in it extinct species i i'm not sure if that's from the 2006 ibex or that's more modern number not quite sure again if you want to check out our sources they're on our youtube channel but i think we're talking about two different age groups here because if it's a species lost from humanity it making it ex extinct and within the last 150 years i say bring it back bring it back plentiful or at least a safe amount and we can allow hunting there so if we bring back say the elk that was uh huge and antlers i can't remember their name but if we brought that back and we brought back to a huge amount of numbers and we just let that roam around we can hunt that sure but i don't think it should be ethical to hunt a species older than that 150 mark now the 150 mark is just a number i made up it's no basis i'm just throwing that number out there just to work with the difference between old and new and i mean old and new based on a planetary evolutions, uh, evolution scale is very important. Because I think if we bring back these pigeons that we hunted to extinction that were in the 1914, yeah, it's, it's not... The passenger pigeons? Yes. Thank you. That's been driving me crazy. I couldn't think of it. But anyhow, if we brought that back, we can hunt it again, whatever. But the mammoths, since they're that way older than that mark, I don't think it should be ethical to hunt those. I think those, if we bring those... I, I think it should be ethical to hunt them in the traditional sense, where a group of hunters with spears chase the mammoth, and one hunter has to slide underneath the mammoth and push his spear up into the mammoth's soft underbelly, their only unprotected area, and risk being trampled to death. I'm not opposed, but the ethics of different types of hunting styles is a whole other podcast. True. I would like to watch that, though. I'm trying to figure out what I just want to watch or what I want to run along with the mammoths. Because you know what they say, nothing makes you run faster when you know there's a predator behind you. And uh, mammoths might be herbivores, but it will mess you up. I've seen a, a lot of white women walk up on a cow thinking they're going to tip it over for being around a cow for the first time. And when they realize how big the cow is, they, they do not enjoy being around the cow for that long. So I think it'd be the same way with the mammoths. I think a lot of people would be like, oh, I'm going to go try and run with this mammoth and kill this mammoth and next thing you know everyone would be running away men women those are some big fucking animals <laughs> they're like i'm gonna go steal a mammoth hair off its off its tail oh crap but i i, I just want to go back a little bit and say i think the age and where the species fall, uh, falls based on extinction on how it became extinct and the timeline makes the difference of hunting and not hunting i just want to i just want to throw that point out there yeah definitely i mean i i don't think we'd be realistically hunting mammoths i think that's just a i don't think that's something that would be done first off the rifle that you would need to kill that thing but also i think I could see mammoths being definitely one of those species that we just observe. I mean, past the 150-year mark, like you said, we just don't know that much about them. I think we could get so much more from just observing them than we would from, you know, uh, sh hunting them. However, once they die, I definitely think we should uh, should cut those up, get some mammoth steaks on the grill. What does elephant taste like? That's, that's a weird thought in my mind but it could open up i know a guy oh jesus uh if it does open up a whole industry because mammoth ivory is currently used in industry as ethic ethical ivory because it is the species went extinct thousands of years ago so it's used a lot in inlays with ivory because it wasn't killed by humans or like could you could you groom a mammoth or like shave a mammoth like a like a sheep and make clothes out of its fur like i don't think you should 
because I think it's probably very important to their health and ecosystem, uh, uh, their their biology. But I wonder what mammoth fur feels like. It all comes back to agriculture, doesn't it? Um, yeah, that'd be crazy though. Can you imagine a mammoth jacket? That'd be the warmest fucking jacket. <laughs> oh, uh, for some reason, I, I I'm thinking of like Fred Flintstone of wearing a saber tooth jacket sliding down a woolly mammoth's trunk or riding a woolly mammoth i wouldn't do those things because a i don't agree with them and b it's i'd be scared out of my mind to ride a mammoth i'm crazy but i'm not that crazy man i'm imagining my tall ass friend tyler wearing mammoth fur and he's basically just chewbacca is <laughs> just a human wearing mammoth fur got it but it does up that does bring a couple questions up of where do we stop? Like, say, because currently we can't bring dinosaurs back because we can't find DNA, but say randomly we find a new DNA process and we could bring back those dinosaurs. Do we? Or even a harder question, because technically other humanoids have lived within a time frame that we still have their DNA and some of our their DNA lives within us, like the Neanderthals or, excuse my pronunciation, uh, Dysoniums. They only went extinct 40,000 years ago. So it is technically possible to bring them back so we could have more than one type of humanoid. And our ancestors did breed with them. That's why some people have different geomarkers in their DNA. So where do we cross the line? Do we only stick with land animals? Do we not never do humans? Do we only do animals that we can properly monitor, like we said? Or like, I'm, I'm trying to figure out where the line is here, Nick, and maybe you can help me out. I think the line is animals we can control. I think larger animals are a plus. Insects, bacteria, that... That's, uh, I don't think we can do that safely. Uh, definitely not sea animals where if you release it, who knows where they go. Maybe if you release one with a tracker, you can control it as long as it can't breed. You know, hopefully it's not, can't breed asexually. I mean, <laughs> this all sounds like monster movies in the making. It really does. And it, it, it's a problem, but I think people are going to do it anyway. I mean, if you, if the United States passes a law or the United Nations passes laws, like you can't bring back animals from extinction based using gen genetics. Maybe governments can't, but people are going to. That is true. And I, I guess I kind of want to focus on it more because I'm very curious about it. But what about other humanoids? What about other, our ancestral cousins, I guess, to say? Would it be fair to bring back cousins who our DNA is in? So we could technically do backbreeding, if I'm not mistaken, people with larger D, uh, DNA sequence of Neanderthals, and we just kept breeding them with other people who had large Neanderthals it, that create another Neanderthal? Or do we, I mean, all the components are there, and I ethically don't think it's okay, but I am so curious about it. I, I, I would like to hear more about your opinion on our cousins, our ancient cousins. Yeah, that's a, that's a tough question. Obviously, it's something that we, we could do, and we could learn a lot from doing it, but something just doesn't sit right about bringing back like a humanoid who knows, most likely has the ability to figure out what's going on, like, and be the only one of their kind. That's, that doesn't really seem right. I, I don't think that, I don't think that that's a good idea. Now, like for like mammoths and other animals who, they don't know that they've been extinct for thousands of years and that they're the last of their kind. I think that's a little bit different story than humans who, and this is where me and PETA may have different opinions but maybe a little bit more advanced than some of those animals are going to have feelings and a little bit more situational awareness I, th I think that that's bringing back humanoids is and selective breeding of humans is not uh, not a road you want to go down unless you're the uh, 
blank government. So I kind of disagree with what you just said. Not the road you don't want to go down with. I kind of agree with that. But I think if we were thinking about Neanderthals of what their brain capacity is, I don't think they would realize where they are or that they're the last ones. I don't know how, like 40,000 years ago, I imagine an elephant today is probably a little bit less intelligent than a Neanderthal back in the day. It's like trying to explain the modern world to a caveman seems impossible. So I imagine it would be impossible for the caveman to wrap his head around it. Now, it'd be very... But Neanderthals had art, right? Like they had cave paintings and they had... So do elephants. El- I mean, elephants have their own graveyards. They ha- they're they extremely emotional connecting beings who like to connect with, who like to express themselves. I mean, how many people have dogs and every dog has a different personality i think i think a big component of it is because it looks like us i can't remember what the scientific name of it is where we don't like things that are look like us but not quite us and i think that all comes from the having our cousins near us because those were our competitors and i'm not can't remember the scientific name from it it's driving me crazy is that like the for robots like the uncanny valley yeah something something like that but I think that's just, I don't think that's just for robots. I think that's for uh, anything that looks like a human, that's slightly off human. Because now that we say it's just simply similar to us, that now it's all completely off limits, makes the gray line, to me, a little bit harder to see. Like that that, that line of what's right and what's wrong and bringing back extinct species comes harder to see because we're picking and choosing based on what? Because it looks like us? Even though, uh, you know, woolly mammoths have similar DNA to their ancestors, the Asian elephant. So why is it all of a sudden very different when it's talking about an ancestor of humans or a related ancestor of humans? I think that's because it's us. Like, you're basically condemning a human to live in like a box and be controlled by scientists like you're just being studied like that's not something that we would do is because you're condemning a humanoid to live in like a box and be studied by scientists i don't think this is something that could be released into society it would fit in or understand i mean it's such a such a but how's that different to other species that we might do it to that we can't introduce them into the wild we can only study them because they don't have as great understanding as what's going on how do we know without studying them without learning from them I mean, like you said, with tusks, we think it's removing snow to get on grass, but we don't know. Or your prickly tree. We don't know what their comprehension is. We don't know. And we might actually learn a lot about our own biology of when humans went from, you know, making clothes, being hunter-gatherers to higher thinking. It might give us insight on our brains and our biology. And I'm not saying we should do it. I'm just asking what if. What if we could learn how or when humans became more conscious, be able to farm, be able to make more tools? What, what if there's that trait in the genome sequence that we could find that helps identify it that we can control that we could improve upon it's again a dual-edged sword but it might overcome the uh the negatives now don't get me wrong if we did this we could definitely learn a lot a ton a crazy amount but i don't think it's ethical i don't think it's the same way that and it's something you know like you don't experiment on people that way you don't experiment on you know neanderthals that way it just it just doesn't sit right now i understand where you're coming from saying they maybe have the same genetic or same things going on in their head as a mammoth now here's my scenario say for the mammoths say we figure out these mammoths they they can't get along even though they're all we we create a bunch because they're social creatures like we said but because they're all genetic clones they're all sad they're depressed they're not behaving like they should so what are we going to do we're not to put them down i mean that's what's ethical i can shoot a mammoth can you shoot a neanderthal 
Can you put that Neanderthal out of its misery? Because it's not, because it's the only one of its kind. There's no one else. The ones that are there are all the same genetic material. So you're asking, can I kill something just because it somewhat looks human? Yeah. Probably. Well, you might be fucked up. I would feel bad about shooting <laughs> that Neanderthal. I mean, it, it, like you said, it's a mercy killing for the woolly mammoths. Of they're sad, they're pressed, they're not normal. Why is that any different for a essentially an ape? So let, let's let's change Neanderthal because I think you're thinking too much human. We've come through. Well, okay, no, no, I'm here. This is uh, shoot. Hold on, I, I lost where I was. My train of thought. So you're thinking very humanoid. Well, let's change it a little bit. Let's let's dial it back a little bit. Let's say an ape, an ape ancestor, or some not our ancestor, but just an ape that went extinct and it was sad depressed in the same scenario as your woolly mammoth would you not put it down the same way you would a woolly mammoth yeah i'd probably put the ape down the same way but i wouldn't put a human down the same way you know i wouldn't put a humanoid but it's not a human i mean we are all apes but well, there's a there's a difference between so like i said i i apes communicate through hand signals and body expression but they don't have they don't create art they don't create the same things that neanderthals and we have done so you're comparing what our species can do to the other species because i'm comparing how their how their minds work in my mind that i think that i think that the neanderthal brain like like we mentioned previously there are people alive today who have not people like a decent amount of people who have neanderthal alive in them in their genes somewhere and they're just part of our population so i don't think they're they're that far off from us like i don't think it's that insane so i don't i don't think it's i think it'd be really messed up to just to kill him that way now i don't obviously a mercy kill is something not something you want to do but i would say just avoid that by not bringing them back in the first place now i think it's like i mentioned for the mammoths you know it's it's that's something that we could think would work i just i don't see the neanderthals coming back and not traveling and not seeing us and not recognizing a similar humanoid and not understanding what's going on i then maybe they'll be perplexed for sure i mean we're going to be wearing clothes have smartphones but there's no way you can keep them in un in a uncontained or a way where they'll never find humanoids i was just bringing this point up to see what your opinion on it it's a very interesting insight opinion on it for some reason i keep thinking of um jim carrey the truman show with neanderthals for some reason i i don't know why but i don't know how smart a neanderthal is because they had they had clothes but did they have language so these, these are all things i'd be very interested and I don't think we should. I don't now. Most of my understanding of Neanderthal is from books and random sources, and we don't like none of us were there. We don't really know. But from what I read, they had language, not something as sophisticated as English, Latin, Spanish, or anything like that. But they had they communicated using grunts, hand signals, and they they created art in caves and created tools rudimentary tools but tools nonetheless this all sounds like modern apes grunts hand gestures using some primitive tools like spears and rocks okay do people like it when we hunt apes i mean people don't like it when you kill apes oh i'm not i'm not saying yeah but if it, i'm not talking about killing them on purpose i'm killing them for like mercy killings i'm i don't think we should bring back neanderthals i just wanted to bring up the conversation because i'd be very curious and very so something to think about like imagine imagine a woman rocking around who was inseminated with neanderthal dna for or, or embryo to give birth to neanderthal that's talk about an icebreaker that is a uh, one hell of an icebreaker but i again i i don't think we should i just wanted to bring up the conversation because i think it's something we should talk about because i again 
there might be some people who might try it. There might be individuals, there might be countries, but it's definitely something we should talk about. I mean, yeah, for sure. It's definitely, you know, like we mentioned previously, or or one of my points is if we can do it, someone's going to try it. But I think this is one of those things that shouldn't be, be tried just because we can, we shouldn't. I mean... The whole, the entire Jurassic Park speech, I forget what the character's name. Just because we can, we shouldn't do it. You're so concerned about figuring out what you could do and didn't stop to think about whether you should. (laughs) Uh, Jurassic Park, ahead of its time. But I want to bring it, I want to switch up gears a little bit and bring a little bit more current issues because this is a lot more easier to discuss than uh, should we inbred humans with Neanderthals, which is weird coming out of my mouth. But people say scientists should focus on more pressing issues such as climate change, overfishing, deforestation, etc., etc., and not focus on bringing back extinct species or the field of extinct species. And before I give my opinion, Nick, I would love to hear your opinion on it. On focusing on species that are currently alive today over extinct species? No. Just from what I got from different polls of when researching this was people just want scientists to focus on... Now, these are not good polls. I will huge asterisk on this. Small sample size, weird websites. It was just what I could find. Like I think the largest sample size I saw was 200. But people say scientists should focus on more pressing issues and not on just like extinct species so maybe they're talking about current species maybe they're talking about scientists focusing their energy on different topics not quite sure again big asterisk these were not good questionnaires but it's what i could find so i I just want to with that in mind nick what's your opinion on it i mean scientists aren't a finite resource if we need more scientists we can get more I think uh, you can't plan for the future without understanding the past. So while it is important if people are working on the current issues we have, maybe the answers in the past, unless we study that, we're not going to know. But we also need to plan for the future and have scientists working on that. I mean, that's it's not like we have 200 scientists and we can they can either work on conserving current species or do other things. We can do all of these at the same time. So I think all of these need to be explored. And they're entirely different subject matters. I think for sure we, we shouldn't just say ah, fuck those other species and just let all those species who are you know struggling right now fend for themselves but what if the answer is in the past what if we uncover a gene like we talked about in invasive species the gene or the using CRISPR they put the gene that codes for uh, rust resistance in wheat into um, oh shoot the trees what is it um, chestnuts open for, chestnut trees American chestnuts they put that gene in there and they're bringing back the entire species what if genes for these other issues are in the past you'd be an idiot not to at least look into it so you can do all these things at once you don't have to pick one or the other and i think looking backwards is as important as looking forwards a lot of the times i've said it once i'll say it again nature gives us the answers history tells us how to use them and for i'm trying to go through the lens of the people say who scientists should focus on more quote-unquote pressing issues i if i'm guessing i'm thinking that they're trying to say scientists should focus more altogether on their energy to solve a issue not these fable quote-unquote bring back a extinct species like the unicorn rhino which exists highly recommend everyone look it up but i disagree with that i the artist in me goes if whatever you're passionate about you should follow you shouldn't let others dictate what you want to learn what you want to study and i I, it to me it seems crazy to tell people what they can and can study learn or focus their energy on It, it it's baffling to me to tell a scientist that they can't learn or expand our knowledge on a certain field because it's not a quote unquote 
pressing issue. And like Nick said, I think, again, you hit the nail on the head. It's everything ties in together, past, present, future. It's everything's connected some form, both both in time and dimensions. And maybe you are right. Maybe looking into the past will give us a future. And I'm, I'm hoping you're right, Nick. I truly am. Yeah, I mean, I think that's where most of the answers are going to come from. I mean, the more we understand about the genetics of current species, the better we are able or will be able to figure out what issues they're going to have and how to correct those issues. I mean, it's, it's a template of where they came from. And from that, we can infer where they're going. You know, based on current habitat, what genes are adapted to what environment, those genes are going to be the ones that spread. And I mean, it's it's in the bigger picture, it's relatively simple. But when you try and break it down into and start coding for those genes and figuring out what genes are going to spread and which ones aren't, then it becomes very complex. But we have a pretty decent understanding of in the big picture what's going on. And like Mike said, looking to the past to provide answers to the future is going to be our, our best bet. And scientists aren't, you know, it's not, it's like a, it's like a mother's love, right? Like it's never ending. It's not each child gets half. I think it's the same way with scientists. There's so many freaking scientists, man. We don't really know. You know it's, we don't have a lack of scientists. There's a lack of funding. And I think maybe dirt, Directing funding away from stupid shit might be the might help there, but that's about all. It's not a lack of scientists and where they're focusing their effort. That's for sure. I, again, I said in the beginning of this podcast that my ultimate hope, way, way, way into the future, like my bones will already have been dust, but have planets or planets dedicated to just nature, no humans. And if somehow we come up with AI where I could live to see that long, or or something like that i would love it's just in my head to imagine what that is and if i or you together we ever get to visit a gene lab you bet as hell i'm gonna be playing jurassic park the theme the entire plane ride there that's that's understandable Uh, well nick i uh is there anything else you would like to say no i think uh i think we brought up a lot of points i think we brought up more questions and i think we'll call it a wrap there you guys let us know what you think i would absolutely love to hear a like we said in the beginning of the podcast what you guys think we should call de-extinct species because i think we can come up with a better name than that we're humans we're more creative and b we would love to hear what your opinion is on it again you can find us on instagram facebook youtube please let us know we are extremely curious of other people's opinions yeah specifically about bringing back neanderthals and stuff like that that's for me and mike it's not that we disagreed but we just don't know so let us know what you think and nick as always to end it can they find us on twitter they cannot find us on twitter because twitter is in fact a dumpster fire oh i love that every time well thank you all for listening Thanks for listening to the Backyard Philosophy Podcast. We rarely finish a podcast without missing a point we wanted to bring up, so let us know what we forgot. And if you have a topic you want us to talk about, let us know at Backyard Philosophy on Instagram and Backyard Philosophy Podcast on Facebook.